0: Hello, hello, and welcome to the Love Doctor Podcast, research-informed advice that can lubricate any conversation about sex. My name is Leah Tidy, and I'm glad to have you here. Today on the show, I answer your questions about romantic versus sexual relationships and how we can balance both, as well as what good communication actually looks like. Also on the show, I'm doing something just a little bit different. Instead of an interview, I'm going to share a bit more about what I do and how the heck I even make money as a sexual health and arts-based researcher. I'm attending a conference this week and I thought it was a great opportunity to share a bit more about what I do and how I got into this line of work. But first, today in sex. The other day on Instagram, I got this message. Hello, beautiful. Sorry to intrude on your privacy, I got attracted to your profile, and I'm interested in becoming a sugar daddy, if you don't mind. I'm willing to assist you financially with bills, shopping. Hope to hear back from you soon. Well, I don't actually know if this guy sounded like this, but this is my interpretation. Sadly, this sugar daddy did not hear back from me soon, because I wasn't interested in being his sugar baby. A sugar daddy, who doesn't have to be someone with a penis, but predominantly, that's the arrangement, well, they pay for a sugar baby's lifestyle. That means they often help pay for school, bills, clothes, whatever. Now, in exchange, and obviously this changes in each relationship and negotiation, but often the sugar baby, which this guy was hoping was going to be me, will provide sexy photos, companionship, sex, what have you. There are even websites where folks can get connected to facilitate a sugar baby slash sugar daddy relationship. And for a lot of folks, that can actually be a really important relationship for a variety of reasons. Financial and otherwise. But what I want to talk about is the unsolicited offerings for someone to be my sugar daddy. Now, when you're someone who talks about sex for a living, people can make certain assumptions about you. That you're into kinky sex or that you're always down for a new sexual adventure. That it's okay to make unwanted advances on you because you talk about sexuality as your career. But this is a huge issue that a lot of folks encounter who research, study, or teach about sexuality. This actually came up in a conference I attended last year called the Canadian Sex Research Forum, and I was shocked to hear about the rates of sexual harassment amongst colleagues who teach and research sex. Now, people feel that they can come up to you and say anything they want because, hey, you're game, you're a sex researcher, right? Well, not quite. On this podcast, I do want to hear your questions. I want to hear your concerns, the things that that you've been wondering about. But making sexual advances on me because of what I do? Yeah, no, that's not okay. I kind of expected comments because of being open about who I am, especially online, and it can embolden people to say things that they probably wouldn't say in real life. Now, 99% of the time, the messages that I receive are awesome, but just wanted to share that it's not all peachy keen all the time. So this message was fairly tame, but I can assure you that there have been plenty, and this is definitely not the last. All to say, if you are someone who is looking for a sugar daddy or wants to be a sugar baby, have at her. Make sure you do it safely. But just so you know, I'm not interested. But now, let's get to your calls.
1: Hi, yeah. Um I just recently watched the film Who with Joaquin Phoenix and Scarlett Johansson in it, and I just wanted to get your opinion on what you feel about relationships that are simply sexual or simply romantic like we see in the film. And, um... And how you think you could balance the both in your ordinary relationships. And yeah, just wanted to hear your views. Many thanks. Bye.
0: I really enjoyed the movie Her with Joaquin Phoenix and Scarlett Johansson because it calls into question about what we mean by relationship and really the future of artificial intelligence in relationships. And especially now, in terms of COVID, when many of us are having to get creative and how we stay connected, I just think it's a really interesting movie for us to return to, even though it came out seven years ago. So for those who haven't seen it, Her is about this lonely man named Theodore, love that name, played by Joaquin Phoenix, who is just finalizing his divorce. He decides to get an AI operating system that helps him in all of his daily tasks. Think Siri, but, you know, like a million times better. Now, the voice of the operating system named Samantha and played by the wonderful Scarlett Johansson is charming and obviously very intelligent. Now, they end up falling in love and Theodore, he he kind of struggles with feeling like super happy that he's like found love again after his divorce, but also like the judgment from the outside world and also his own shame about being in a relationship with an operating system. Okay, so in order to dive into your question, Caller, I will have to include a few spoilers from the movie. So if you haven't seen it, be warned, or you know what? Just pause this, go watch it now, then come on back to this episode. So Caller, what I find interesting is your questioning about how to balance a romantic relationship with a purely sexual relationship, and really how her, the movie, highlights some of those interesting conundrums in in trying to navigate both. Now, while Theodore and Samantha, they have a really strong romantic relationship, and they even have sex with each other through talking and describing what they'd like to do to each other, it's not the same as having a living partner who you can see and touch. It's actually pretty, like, Black Mirror-esque without being quite so depressing, and it actually asks us to consider what is important to us in relationships. What do we actually value? Now, I'm going to play just a brief moment from the movie because... It's just this beautiful, wonderful moment, and it shows how we can communicate with our partners, AI or otherwise.
1: Hi. Hey, Samantha. Can we talk? Okay. I'm so sorry. I don't know what's wrong with me, but I think you're amazing. I was starting to think I was crazy. You were saying everything was fine, but all I was getting from you was distance and anger. I know. I'd do that. i did the same thing with Catherine, too. I'd be upset about something and not be able to say it, and she'd say that there was something wrong, and I'd deny it. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to tell you everything. night after you were gone I thought a lot about you and how you've been treating me and I thought why do I love you and then I felt everything in me just let go of everything I was holding on to so tightly and it hit me that I don't have an intellectual reason I don't need one I trust myself I trust my feelings I'm not going to try to be anything other than who I am anymore, and I hope you can accept that. I can. I will. You know, I can feel the fear that you carry around, and I wish there was something I could do to help you let go of it, because if you could, I don't think you'd feel so alone anymore. You're beautiful. Thank you. Theodore, I'm kissing your head.
0: Again, I just love that scene. And the rest of the movie has that similar kind of slow, quiet intensity that I I just, I cannot recommend enough. Now, in the last episode of the podcast, I talk about folks who are demisexual, which is along the asexual spectrum and how they require an emotional connection before feeling sexual desire towards someone. So the foundation of emotional connection is a priority, and sexual expression can take a variety of forms. I think it's important to note that for everyone, what they value in terms of sexual connection and romantic connection, well, that's a personal choice that really varies depending on who we are and not necessarily dictated by our sexual orientation. So thinking about what kind of connections we value, whether they're sexual, romantic, emotional, friendship, companionship, or a combination, or none of these things. Well, thinking about those will give us insight into the type of relationships that we want to cultivate. For myself, I am a deeply romantic person, and I really value emotional connection. However, I also feel sexual attraction to people in passing, and I don't need an emotional connection to find someone attractive. Now, this is not to support the stereotype that all bisexual folks are attracted to everyone and are hypersexual because it's far more complex than that and it is different for every single person. So my advice for balancing romantic and sexual connection. The truth is, is that it depends. It depends on what kind of relationship you're looking for and what your values are. But what I see happen quite often is folks getting into relationships with different ideas on what they value, but they never explicitly discuss it. It's easy when we're in the honeymoon phase with a new sexual and or romantic partner to just find everything about them amazing, to spend long hours gazing into each other's eyes and thinking that everything that they do is just spectacular. And in this, it's really hard to have more honest conversations about what kind of relationship we want it's difficult to do, and it's scary to be vulnerable, especially early in a relationship, but the sooner we know what we both value in a relationship, the sooner we can decide if this is a relationship we want to invest in. Now, for example, early in Levi and my relationship, I was quite bold. Now, that wasn't my usual style, and it took me a lot of practicing throughout our relationship to clearly state what I want, and this is something I am still learning. But I'm really glad that I laid out some of my fundamental values that I had, regardless of our relationship was going to last a month, years, or the rest of our lives. Anywho, I was quite bold, and I told Levi two things. First, I didn't care about marriage, but I did want to have children. That was something that was a non-negotiable for me. Second, I am bisexual, and that at some point I wanted to pursue a longer relationship with another woman or someone with a vulva. All of my previous long-term relationships had been with men, and it was really important for me to be clear about what I wanted. And he was like, okay, sounds good. But like the babies and such, not like right away, like we got time. And yes, I assured him, yes, there's still plenty of time. And really that foundation of honesty, that has really set the tone for our relationship. Also, side note, when we first started dating, we both went to the sexual health clinic together and got tested for various STIs, and I just think that was really important to state from the beginning that we were like, I'm so excited to have sex with you and to be in this relationship that I want to get tested. I want to know that we are, like, good to go. Anyway, highly recommend. Definitely can still be something tricky to negotiate. Now the last thing I want to say about her is that I think it also gives us insight into polyamory as well. It gets us to think about what it means to have multiple partners and how it, it shakes that social norm of monogamy and only getting our emotional, romantic, and sexual needs met from one person. I think there's an overemphasis on romantic relationships being the only important relationship in our lives, and it dismisses the importance of a friendship, a family connection with our biological family, with our chosen family, and really folks who generally make us better and who make us who we are. I've been gathering your questions about polyamory because I'm going to do an entire podcast on it, so if you know of someone I should interview or if you have a question for the show, send me a voice memo to Podcast at gmail.com or even a voice recording through Instagram message is great too, at Tidy. let Let's take another call. Hi,
2: coming here after episode 13, which I clicked on because of Demisexual and Levi. It was an awesome episode, and I love that you gave a shout out to the listeners who made it to the end. I really appreciated your and Levi's thoughts about representing your lifestyle, acknowledging privilege, but also talking about value spectrum centric dialogue. I have a bunch of questions and I hope that you might be able to cover some of them sometime. You talk about having good communication and having a good example of a supportive relationship growing up, but can you elaborate more on some of the best practices, behaviors, discussions with partners or potential partners that demonstrate good communication and support? I'm curious if you and Levi share the Patreon account or if you have one specific for you because I would love to support. I really hope that some of these questions will be answered, uh, very hopeful. I have been able to have the privilege of having some of these kinds of discussions with a bunch of lovely ace and AeroSpec people on a discord that I'm a part of, and I love seeing the more Aloe perspective as well. So thank you so much and best of luck for your future endeavors, and I will continue to listen in. Thanks so much!
0: Thank you so much, Caller, for your questions and for your really kind words regarding the last episode and my interview with Levi. It was actually a lot of fun recording it, and I hope it gave you some insight into our relationship, but also the work that we do. So for your first question, telling folks to have good communication and then not giving them examples, yeah, that's that's not great. But it's also hard to give examples when you're not in person. A lot of my training as a professional theater artist and as an academic, it's in working with folks in person and using different theater techniques to practice communication in different scenarios so that we can feel more prepared when they happen in real life. But here's my advice on how to foster good communication with a partner or potential partners through a podcast. So let's do it. So good communication requires practice, and we should try to use it in all aspects of our life. I think especially now with COVID, we're relying more and more on our words and our body language because sometimes depending on what kind of relationship we're in or if we're having to have conversations online or over the phone, then we can't see each other clearly. We can't rely on our bodies to do a lot of the communicating that happens. Now, even a simple task of cooking breakfast together, that can offer an opportunity to practice support and communication in our daily lives. So for example, I say to Levi, I'll make the tea. Could you please put the toast on? And by clearly communicating that we are doing these different tasks, but they're working towards a common goal, that's really helpful in terms of our own relationship, but also practicing how we communicate with each other. And the nice thing is, is that we're practicing in a way that's in a low stakes thing. We're making breakfast. If I mess up the tea, okay, who cares? If the toast gets burnt, oh well, that's okay. But the nice thing is is that we get to practice in a low stakes environment before we get into more serious or emotional conversations. I also try to incorporate ways that I appreciate Levi and other important people in my life by really recognizing what they do. So something really easy, such as thank you for doing the dishes, or I appreciate you listening, even if they're just listening about mundane things like how to get stuff from my old computer to my new computer. Trust me, that was a a whole thing. Anyway, those demonstrate that I value that person and what they do. It sounds super cheesy. I know. There's actually a great article in Psychology Today that talks about doing mundane tasks together and talking about how sharing those little details in our day-to-day life that can actually be a really important part of building healthy communication. It's also an important part of, of creating that sense of closeness with our partner or partners. Now, I've linked it in the episode description, and I was happily surprised to see that my personal experience was reflected in what research has shown builds strong relationships. Now, what is overlooked a lot is listening to each other and paying attention to what someone is telling us. We've all heard the, I'm fine. And know that no, everything is not fine because our words may say one thing, but our bodies and our tone are saying something completely different. Being able to actually listen to our partners and get at the subtext of maybe what they're thinking about, or even listening deeply and asking a question of being like, oh, what did you mean by that? And not in an accusatory way, but in a way that asks them to, to just explain again what they're thinking or how they're feeling so we can have a better understanding of what's going on not asking you to be a mind reader, just to listen more deeply. And that means not being on your phone the same time you're listening to someone. Now, if you're not into reading articles and would rather just watch something, then I highly recommend watching Shit's Creek. Not only is it an amazing Canadian-made TV show, it also cleaned up at the Emmys, it's also super queer inclusive and it demonstrates how to actually communicate. Now, unlike so many other TV shows where people are either like having sex and gazing deeply into each other's eyes, or they're yelling at each other, this show actually shows what it means to communicate as a family, with friends, but also in our intimate relationships. So really, I cannot recommend it enough. Okay, and so to your second question, caller. No, Levi and I do not share the Patreon that he has for his YouTube channel, but it undoubtedly benefits both of us since we share all of our finances. Now, I definitely help out on the YouTube channel, and I love being a part of the videos, but it's Levi's full-time job, and it's his creative endeavor. Now, that might be changing, though, as the channel evolves over time, and I might get more involved, but you'll just have to wait and see. Now, at the moment, I do not have a separate Patreon. I don't really have plans for starting one soon. This is actually a great segue into the next part of the podcast today because it relates to what the heck I do as a sexual health and arts-based researcher and how I make any money doing it. Now first, I don't make any money doing this podcast. This is a side gig that I really enjoy doing, and it has helped me to stay up to date with current research and to stay connected with you, the folks who don't live in my household, but the folks that I care about and I want to hear from. It really is one of the highlights of my week to work on this show, and so I do hope you're enjoying it. If you have feedback for the podcast or you want to send in a question, please feel free to send me an email or a voice memo to the Love Doctor Podcast at gmail.com or send me an Instagram message at doctor.lea.tidy. Also, I mentioned in the intro of this podcast that this week I'm taking part in a conference called the Canadian Sex Research Forum. Now, I attended it last year when it was in Victoria, and it was basically one of the best conferences I've ever been to. Even though it's online this year, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm presenting a poster about my research called, Have You Ever Talked to Your Grandma About Sex? And you better believe I've put a link for it in the episode description. Now, as an academic, it's part of my job to go to conferences and to share the work that I'm doing with folks in my field and to make connections with folks who I might want to work with in the future. Now, as a young scholar, or sometimes they'll call us emerging scholars, I think of it kind of like sexual debut. I'm making my academic debut, but I digress. Anyway. It's been a really important learning opportunity for me over the years, and I'm really excited for this one in particular. However, there seems to be this misconception that academics get paid to go to conferences and that we fly all over the world presenting at them. Sad to say, this is not true. Basically, like 99% of the time, unless you are the very special keynote speaker, you don't get paid, but rather you pay to go to these conferences. And that includes accommodation, travel, conference fee, food, etc., Now, there is some funding that you can apply for through your university, but most of the time it only covers like some of the costs and it doesn't actually cover the whole thing. And normally you don't get any money until after you've come back from the conference and then you submit your receipts. Sometimes that can take several weeks to get reimbursed. So, yeah, not affordable and you have to go through a lot of logistics and paperwork. Now, this is a huge issue in terms of accessibility, and actually, one of the positive things about COVID is that online conferences have made it more affordable for folks to attend and more easily accessible instead of having to travel somewhere and put up the money. So, that's it about conferences, to the next thing that I do that's a part of my job. As you had heard in the podcast a few weeks ago, I'm also in the process of becoming a sexual health educator through Options Sexual Health here in British Columbia. Now, the training, it will be hugely beneficial in my ability to work in the community and in schools, teaching sex ed, and hopefully it can open up a lot of different employment opportunities. However, this is also more training that I am paying for and not receiving any financial support from my university to do it. So this is where the money that Levi makes is hugely beneficial in helping both of us achieve our goals. We joke that I am the long-term investment because while I basically have only made enough money to barely cover my expenses over the last six years, eventually I hope to have a job at a university that has benefits and has a reliable income, which will be really helpful since Levi is self-employed. Okay, so how do I actually make money instead of spending it all on training? This is something a lot of folks have asked because it's not every day that you hear of a sexual health and arts-based researcher. So for those who don't know, I completed my PhD in applied theatre at the University of Victoria in April of this year, and I've been fortunate enough to be working in my field even before my PhD was finished. So currently, I am a research assistant at the University of British Columbia, and in January, I'll be starting a postdoctoral position at both the University of British Columbia and the University of Victoria. If you're wondering what a postdoctoral position is, don't worry, I also had no idea before this year. So a postdoctoral position, or postdoc for short, it's essentially a paid research position where I get to work with mentors in my field. It's actually a really great stepping stone on my way to becoming a university professor, and it really helps me to get to get more experience in the field while getting paid and not having to pay tuition. So win-win. I have really amazing supervisors at UVic and UBC, and my combined postdoc will focus on amplifying diverse voices through art space methodologies. So what does that mean? At the University of Victoria, I'm going to be working with a group called the Halk Heroes. So that's a group of Coast Salish Indigenous folks living here on Vancouver Island. And they're working with using theatre as a means for language reawakening. So my role in this research is to help put together the first Indigenous Theatre Festival, in which next year we'll be inviting various Indigenous theatre troops from around British Columbia to come to the University of Victoria and to share performances in their own traditional languages. So that's one part of the work that I do. And then my work at the University of British Columbia, that's where I work with folks with intellectual and developmental disabilities, and we're creating theatre about their rights and access to employment. So the first project that I worked on with folks with intellectual disabilities was creating theater about their rights as sexual beings and creating theater as a means to share that with a larger audience. Now, with this same group of people, we are talking about their rights to employment and we can use theater to not only pay folks for their time, but to also foster their skills in the performing arts. So last but not least, the other thing that I am doing to make money and something that I am really excited is to start teaching a university course. Now, next semester, I will be teaching healthy sexuality at UVic. And while I am beyond nervous, because it'll be over Zoom, there's usually about 170 students who take this class. It is a huge step in my career towards building my teaching experience. So I'm really interested to know what you think. Would you take this course with me? I like to think that if you're listening to this podcast, then you probably would be interested, but I would love to get your input. Like, what are topics that you wish could be covered in a healthy sexuality course? What are things that you wish you knew about sooner in your own life? I would really love to hear your thoughts, so please don't hesitate to get in touch. And now, let's get to the feedback section. About the podcast, not about my singing. So here's an email that someone sent about the question that they had answered on the previous episode of The Love Doctor. They say, Hello, Leah. I listened to the new episode this morning. I want to say thank you so much for answering my question. You have no idea how much that means to me. It was weird to hear my voice on your podcast. Honestly, a little scary, but comforting that no one knows that the person talking is me except for you and, well, I guess me. Now, hearing me say my question out loud and then on your podcast is very strange because I've never said it out loud before. I didn't have any expectations or ideas of what advice you would give me, and I'm really happy how you responded. I actually started to cry when you said that I should try practicing personal empathy. It was moving for me, and I think that it hit more parts of my life than just the one on my identity. I like that you pointed out about how sexuality is not something I need to decide now. It's a lifelong process and experience. You hope that your advice would be helpful for me, and it was. I will continue to carry it as I search, read, and discover more about who I am. Thank you so much, Dr. Tidy. Thank you so much for your feedback, and so much to all of you listeners for joining me today and listening to the Love Doctor podcast. Next week on the show, I share my interview with Crystal Kennings, a menstrual wellness educator, who is also a good friend of mine. We talk about cycle awareness and how eating a plant-based diet, it might just lead to a better sex life. Now, if you have questions that you want to ask, send a voice memo to thelovedoctorpodcast at gmail.com, and I will do my darndest to get it on the show. You can also check me out on Instagram or Twitter, and if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave a review. Till then, folks, stay healthy, stay safe, stay consensual.